Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be able to fill in for Pastor Jonathan this morning as he's enjoying some time away with extended family. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would open it with me to Psalm 100. As we find ourselves between the celebrations of Christmas and New Year's, I couldn't think of a better passage of Scripture to go to than Psalm 100. The old 100th, as it's been affectionately referred to, has been sung for centuries. We know that Israel sang this song together in their worship of the Lord. And we know that the 17th century English Puritans frequently would sing this song together as well. Then later, Charles Spurgeon said this of Psalm 100, Nothing can be more sublime or splendid this side of heaven than the singing of this noble song by a vast congregation. And so Psalm 100, as you can see from the title of the psalm itself, is purely a psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of thanksgiving. And so as we find ourselves now at the end of 2020, which perhaps for many of us has been a, a difficult year in perhaps many different ways, we have a choice to make. We could be tempted to look back upon our circumstances or to look into the future with anxiety or perhaps even despair. And yet Psalm 100 calls us to a far better alternative, to lift our eyes above our circumstances, to the Lord who reigns sovereign and supreme over all things and who cares for his people. And so the Lord this morning through this psalm wants to show us more of his infinite goodness, his steadfast love, and his faithfulness. And also as we go through Psalm 100 this morning, consider the ways in which this psalm parallels the very purpose statement of Grace Community Church, equipping God's people to delight in God's glory and to declare that glory to the nations. Follow along now as I read Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so in the four stanzas of this psalm, we will first consider seven imperatives of worship that were given to Israel. And then we will look at the reason why Israel, as well as us as the church today, can and should be characterized by continuous thanksgiving. And so note there, the first imperative given in the call of worship is found in verse 1, as they were to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, I think it's important here to note that should they fail to consider the one to whom they were to make a joyful noise, 
then they might as well drop the adjective joyful because all of life would then equate to as nothing more than meaningless noise. And so the question becomes, who is the Lord that a joyful noise should flow from their lips? Well, the name Lord with a capital here, notice a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is translated from the Hebrew name Yahweh, which is used nearly 5,000 times in the Old Testament. And as God reveals his name, he reveals something of who he is. When Moses, for instance, encountered God at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14, God reveals his name by saying, I am who I am. In other words, he alone is self-sufficient. He alone is the creator. He alone is the one true God. And therefore, verse one calls upon all the earth to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have used that little phrase, make a joyful noise to the Lord, to excuse yourself from singing out of tune? I'll have to be honest with you. Uh, for those who have perhaps had the misfortune of standing too close to me here on a Sunday morning, uh, I've probably taken this verse a little bit out of context and said something to the effect of, aren't you glad the Lord calls us to make a joyful noise to the Lord rather than a sweet melody? In fact, sometimes I wonder if I sit too close up here, if I'm not a distraction to Dr. Kreider and those who are, are singing because as they're trying to sing in tune, I'm usually not quite with them there. And that, that said, though, let's look at the, the proper meaning, the proper context of what it means to make a joyful noise. In the NASB, make a joyful noise is translated, shout joyfully to the Lord. And so as Derek Kidner explains, the joyful noise is not the special contribution of the tone death but the equivalent in worship to the shout or fanfare to a king. And so I think a little bit of background is important here. Psalm 100 con concludes a collection of Psalms starting back in Psalm 93 that proclaim that the Lord, he is the king. He is the king of all kings. And it crescendos here in Psalm 100 on a note of thanksgiving and praise. And so to make a joyful noise to the Lord gives the imagery of a joyful shouting that would take place at the coronation of a long-anticipated king as he takes the throne. And thus they were to come before the Lord and worship with exuberant thanksgiving because he is the Lord. He is the king of all kings and he is their king. As we continue in Psalm 100, notice what some have called a progressive nearness. Verse 1 calls all the earth to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And then the calling of verse 2 is then to serve the Lord with gladness. Now, the word serve here can also be translated as worship. And likely the context here is a calling to come closer into the Lord's presence, to come nearer to him. It's a calling of the people to come collectively together to worship him. 
And as we see, what's the manner in which they are to serve or worship the Lord? It's with gladness. Why should they worship the Lord with gladness? I mean, Israel had a lot of hardships. They had a lot of difficulties. And yet the calling is to come before the Lord and to worship him with gladness. They should worship with gladness because as John Calvin noted, the Lord's kindness towards his own people is so great as to furnish them with abundant ground for rejoicing. And so as they began to gather in the name of the Lord with joyful shouting and gladness, the next calling to draw nearer and nearer to the Lord is found in the third imperative in verse two, which says, come, come into his presence with singing. Now, I think it's important to note on your outline there that these seven imperatives of worship are plural imperatives. And so these first four verses in Psalm 100, there's these plural imperatives of worship, meaning that the people weren't just to worship individually. God's people were to draw in together and with one voice praise and glorify him with rejoicing and with gladness. John Stott commented on this verse that if God is king, what can our worship be but joyful? Away with the funeral faces and doleful dirges. Joy, gladness, and singing are to be the accompaniment of worship. And so they were to come before the Lord with rejoicing and with gladness. As they came together to worship through song, as we do here at GCC, the very content of their songs would have caused them to remember, or as verse three says, to know that the Lord, he is God. And so to know that the Lord is God would have been understood in at least these three ways. First, There is but one true God. God had shown this to be true time and time again throughout Israel's history. In fact, if you go back to the Exodus, those 10 plagues were brought by God against the little g gods that were made by the hands of the Egyptians to show that he alone was the one true God. And then after delivering the Israelites from slavery, God brings them to Mount Sinai where God gave them the 10 plagues commandments, which says in Exodus 20, verses two through four, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Why? Because he was the one true God. And yet, as we read through the Old Testament, what do we continually see? They were characterized time and time again by rampant idolatry. Perhaps on a personal note, what about the idolatry in our own lives today? If you were to ask those closest to you as to what they thought that you loved the most, would their immediate response be Jesus Christ? Or would it be something else? Going back to Psalm 100, John Calvin notes that as it is then a most difficult thing to retain men in the practice of the pure worship of God, the prophet, not without reason, recalls the world from its accustomed vanity and commands them to recognize God as God. There is but one 
true God. Thus in Psalm 100 verse three, the people were to remind each other in their singing that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. And so as they gathered together and they sang these songs of thanksgiving, they were encouraging each other to remember the one true God. As we gather here on Sunday mornings and we sing collectively together, we're reminding each other that there is but one true God and he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And they were to worship the creator and not bow down to the creation. Second, there is but one true God. And second, God created them. God created them. Not only did God create them individually, but in the context here, it declares that he made Israel and he made Israel to be his own people. Isaiah chapter 43, verse one. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And so why did Israel belong to him? It is the same reason that any of us belong to the Lord Jesus Christ today in a saving way. Not only has he created us, but he has recreated us. He has redeemed us. He has called us to be his own. We are his. Also in Psalm 100 verse three, note the proclamation that not only were they to know that he made them to be his own people, but next that God had consecrated them or he had set them apart. And he did so in a loving, caring, tender way. Verse three says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so in other words, not only had the Lord set them to, apart to be his own people, but he cared for them as their savior shepherd. And with God as their shepherd, they were then invited to, to come before him, to come in that place which he had chosen to dwell, to come into the temple and to worship him. And so in Psalm 100 verse four, the fifth imperative of worship is that they were to enter Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so they were to enter through the gate and into the courts, thus drawing near to the Lord with their offerings and with their praise. So as they had been redeemed and given the privilege to know God personally as their shepherd, the sixth imperative of worship is that they were to give thanks to him. Give thanks to him. And they were to continually and collectively give thanks to the Lord as their creator, as their savior, as their shepherd. Because the Lord tabernacled amongst them and he lavished his blessings upon his people. And thus they could experientially sing Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And so to be blessed by belonging to God as the sheep of his pasture leads then to the seventh imperative that we find in verse four. And that is the people were called in their worship of God to bless his name. 
Now think about this for a moment. How could they possibly bless their creator God, who is already infinitely blessed in the very essence of his being? What does it mean to to bless the Lord? Well, to bless, as used in the context here, is to, to show gratitude toward or respect to God. Alec Motyer explained, blessing Yahweh means to take note of his glories and excellencies and then respond to them in wonder and adoration. So just as Dr. Kreider talked about this morning with his, his grandchildren, when his grandchildren talked to him, he's, he's blessed that they acknowledged him as his grandfather. And so much more God to his people who he has redeemed when they desire and delight to come into his presence. God delights when we come into his presence and honor him and worship him. Looking at the next verse in verse five, they were reminded of three attributes of the Lord as they sang. And that would then lead them to respond in worship according to the seven imperatives of worship that we just saw in the first four verses. So in verse five, it starts off the fourth stanza of this song with a preposition, the preposition for, which connects the preceding verses on how to worship with the reasons why they should worship. And so in verse five, we find three reasons for worship. And these reasons for worship are all tied up into the very essence of who God is. The first reason is because of God's goodness. God's goodness. Verse five says, for the Lord is good. His very essence is good. And therefore all that he does is good. Israel had seen God's goodness time and time again. And that's the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 68 of, of God, you are good and do good. God's goodness in the Old Testament was often seen against the dark backdrop of Israel's sins. Listen to Jeremiah 33 verses eight through 11, where God says, I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. And it shall be to me a name of joy, praise and glory before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear of all the good that I do for them. And they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I make. And so God demonstrates his goodness towards the greatest need that they had and the greatest need that we have. And then he pardoned. He brings about the forgiveness of our iniquities through the shed blood, ultimately, of the Lamb of God. Throughout scriptures, do we not continually see the goodness of God on display? Starting in Genesis, God creates, and it was what? It was good because God is a good creator. It was good. In fact, he says, as he created Adam and Eve, it was very good. As we consider the very word of God, Romans 7, 12 says, the the word of the Lord is holy and righteous and good. And it is good because it came forth from the one who is good. And though perhaps we often struggle to see it, are God's purposes not also 
good. We see this ultimately exemplified at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, where the only perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, was nailed to the cross by the hands of wicked men. And yet what these men intended for evil, God purposed, intended for good. Listen to these words by Philip Ryken as he wrote, The cross has brought salvation to the world. If God brought the greatest good out of the greatest evil, he can bring good out of what seems to be evil in your own life. It is all part of God's good plan. And therefore, Charles Spurgeon reminds us, so long as we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. God has bestowed upon each of us much mercy in Christ. And so we always have reason to give much thanks. And so as we gather and give thanks to the Lord for his goodness each Sunday, we then disperse, we scatter, and we're to go forth and reflect the goodness of God to to one another as a church, but also to this world that's around us. And we do so according to Galatians 6, 9 through 10, which says, by not growing weary of doing good, but as we have opportunity, doing good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Now, I realized during COVID-19 and all the the difficult circumstances of this year, that it is easy to gripe. And yet God has not called us to gripe. He's called us to go forth and to do good to others. And so as we reflect upon 2020, it has indeed in many ways for many people been a very difficult year. And yet do we not have greater opportunity to encourage each other in the midst of these difficulties to look to the Lord? and to do so with thanksgiving? Do we not all need to be reminded through our time of worship, our singing here together, the proclamation of God's word on a weekly basis that God is indeed good and he does good? And the more that we know of his goodness, the more that that will overflow through our own lives. Next in Psalm 100 verse five, the people were to worship with thanksgiving because of God's steadfast love, a steadfast love that endures forever. As J.I. Packer wrote, God's love finds expression in everything he says and does. And why is that? Because God is, in his very essence, love. In Psalm 100, verse three, the people worship with thanksgiving because they are the sheep the beloved sheep of the good shepherd. And in knowing the Lord as their shepherd, they can sing what King David sang through Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
And then David concludes with surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so with God as their shepherd, according to Psalm 100 verse four, they were called then to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. As we fast forward then into the New Testament, Jesus in John 10 says that I am the door or he is the gate. He is the way in which we can come into the Father's presence and find our delight in this God who is altogether delightful. But not only is Jesus the door, he is also the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And because of that, we have reason to continually give thanks. Listen to what Richard Phillips wrote as he talked about the love of God from Psalm 100 as it relates to the church today. Whatever trials may come to us in life, every Christian here finds ample reasons to give thanksgiving to God with a joyful heart. He is God. It is he, the creator, who made us. And he has made us his own people, creating not only the human race, but Israel and the church to be the pasture for his sheep. To say that we are the sheep of his pasture is to acknowledge his tender love for us, which overcomes every deterrent to thanksgiving. Do we enjoy prosperity? Then let us be sure to praise the Lord with thanks. Do we struggle in trials and suffer in sorrow? Then let us lift tear-streamed faces to the Lord and worship him who is worthy and who has loved us unto salvation. God's word declares that we are his, regardless of anything else, being his own precious beloved people, individually and together as the flock of his church. Let us be zealously motivated, knowing that the Lord is God to make a joyful noise to him, serving him with gladness and coming into his presence with singing. Well, Psalm 100 verse five concludes by exhorting the worship of Israel to be filled with thanksgiving because of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to all generations. And we know God's faithfulness because every word of God proves true. Everything that God has promised, he has fulfilled or he is fulfilling. At the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And what was Solomon's response? In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, we see that with a loud voice, Solomon said, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, each as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart therefore be wholly true 
to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. And as the Lord made his dwelling place there in the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon led Israel to worship the Lord with thanksgiving because of the Lord's faithfulness in fulfilling his promise to make them a treasured people of his own. And yet verse 60 in 1 Kings chapter 8 further explains why the Lord had set them apart. He set them apart that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, that there is no other. And so do you remember back to Psalm 1, uh, 100 verse 1, how it began? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. All the earth was called to worship their creator, God, because of his goodness as it was put on display towards his special people, towards Israel. And as the people of God came together and as they blessed the name of God together in worship through thanksgiving, God blessed them in such a way that his glory was shown forth to the nations. Do you remember the queen of Sheba? In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, it records, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. And with the wisdom of God granted to him, he answered all of her questions. And as she then observed the worship at the house of the Lord, verse 5 says, there was no more breath in her. She was overwhelmed by the glory of God. And when she had recovered her breath, she exclaimed in verse 9, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king. And so through the worship of the Lord by Solomon and the people of God there at the temple, the nations came to hear about the name of the Lord. And yet, of course, as 1 Kings continues, we see that Solomon failed miserably to worship the Lord wholeheartedly. And king after king, almost every single one of them, did not worship the Lord as they ought. They were not faithful in the worship of the one true God. And yet the one true God remained faithful to fulfill his plan that he had purposed before the foundation of time. And he would send forth that one perfect sinless king, the king to be above all kings, who came in in Luke chapter 11, verse 31, said this, the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the good shepherd, the one who is the door, the one who is the king of all kings, Psalm 100 then becomes our song. It becomes our song of response. It becomes our song of thanksgiving. And so my prayer for GCC in 2021 is that regardless of whatever our circumstances may be, that we would so delight in the Lord that our lives individually and our gatherings collectively 
would be a continual song of thanksgiving to the Lord. And as we delight in God's glory, I pray that we would likewise further declare his goodness, declare his steadfast love, and declare his faithfulness to the nations. Let me conclude with these words by Charles Spurgeon, who wrote, Never will the world be in its proper condition till with one unanimous shout it adores the only God. Let's pray. Father, as your word reminds us repeatedly, you are indeed good, loving, and faithful. As we consider who you are and what Christ accomplished, that we can be counted as the sheep of your pasture, how can we not but worship you with thanksgiving and gladness? Father, for those who don't know you personally and who are living in the darkness and misery of their own sins and suffering apart from Christ as their Savior, we ask that by your Spirit, you would grant them the grace to respond to the calling of Jesus, King Jesus, to come to me and find rest for your souls. For Grace Community Church, as we enter into this next year, may we increasingly be characterized as a people who gather together worshiping you with thanksgiving. For your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Oh, great is your faithfulness. Our souls declare that you, O oh Lord, are our portion. And therefore, we will hope in you. And all God's people said, Amen.